So, um, yeah, that is indeed me. So, as uh, Paul said, the first time on my Frontiers, uh, I actually I, um, learned about Frontiers about a month before the conference. This was the second conference. And so, I won a ticket by Microsoft, because otherwise I wouldn't even have made it. I was just too late because the, you know, the conference was sold out. So, I'm actually in this audience, and, uh, well, you know, I'm like right there. That's about the only picture I can find. I, I'm, I'm pretty good at dodging pictures, apparently. And so the next year, I, I you know, I, I figured let's step up. And so as a part of the crew, uh, again, one of the few pictures I can find of myself. But at least you know it's on stage. So the year after that as well. And then um, yeah. So I'm Peter, as uh, Paul introduced me. I'm uh, indeed I curate JS1K. I also wrote a static analysis tool called Xeon.js. Um, as well as a parser and a heat map profiler. At least, you know, those are the recent projects. Um, I work for a company called Surfly. We do remote desktop in the browser, basically just uh, sandboxing the entire browser using JavaScript, um, but as well as uh, HTML, CSS, and uh, a backend. So that's pretty cool, but uh, I'm not going to demo this to you today, um, because today I'm going to talk about real-time recompilation. So let's start with a demonstration. And demonstrations are always scary. Um, so this is a simple editor. I see it works good, right? Um, it's a text editor. I hooked on, you know, I wired it up a bit. Uh, if I edit it, I can. Let's uh, just restart it for a second. Uh, you'll see that it flashes, right? It will restart the entire code, and it will just, uh, well, restart basically. Um, so you can see in the console that it will log out whenever I restart it. Um, so, for instance, if I make this red thing blue, um, you know, there are flashes and it doesn't continue the code. So, um, I have a second version here, which is rewired to something that is actually capable of recompil recompiling the running code. So, when I do this, you'll see that it recompiles, but it doesn't actually restart. Of course, you know, no visual changes, so that's not that impressive. So, let's try with this black rectangle. Uh, so if we make it, say, green, now it's green. It didn't restart the app. You know, the, the rectangles kept on turning. There's no state magic going on there in the background, so don't worry about that. Um, and I can you know, change it to anything I want. Um, if you've seen the talk by Brett Victor, Inventing on Principle, um, you'll see that this is very similar to what he did. It kind of inspired me to do this in the first place. Um, I can make you know more rectangles. The screen is a bit small here, so you know they don't really fit. But um, I can make them, uh, I don't know, orange, green, whatever. So the point is, it doesn't actually restart the code. You know, everything kept spinning. It didn't flash. It didn't, I don't know, it didn't change much. Of course, you know, this can lead to, in oh no, no this, this can put the state of your document in a state you don't really want to. So sometimes you do have to refresh, but that's fine. Um, okay, so it's just to wrap up. Um, it's a compilation of JavaScript on the fly. Um, you maintain access to closures, so my approach is safe for that. Same for arguments, same for everything. Um, it does lazy evaluation, so it's fairly optimized. And it's a generic approach, meaning that it will, it should be capable of uh, recompiling any JavaScript. Um, there might always be edge cases, but as far as I know, there's only one big problem, but I'll cover that later. So here comes the dangerous part. I'm going to 
the main gist of this talk is to uh, start with a simple line of code, console.log something, and end up with something that we can actually recompile from within the browser. And then later I'll show you the abstraction. So, all right, so there's a simple uh, uh, HTML page, right? There's nothing, nothing special going on here. Uh, and this is the, uh, the output in the browser. Um, so we start with a set timeout, and we do a console log. There's conf, exclamation mark. And then uh, it's just every five milliseconds, and we'll see this once because it needs to be set interval. Yay. All right. So the first step is uh, we need to create a function that returns another function because you know we're going to be recompiling stuff and uh, well this this needs a function so let's get function get function and it's going to return this function all right so still n nothing special just a refactoring of what was already there and it works so. The next step is to actually start compiling the code. So when I say compiling, um, what does it actually mean? So, so compiling itself means translating one source code to the other. right? Um, in JavaScript, we tend to call these transpilers, uh, say uh, Python to JavaScript or whatever. But in the end, they're really just compilers. Um, but when I mean compiling right now, I actually mean preparing code to be executed. And you do this by just simply creating a function. So whenever you create a function, it's actually preparing code to be executed. And on the water, in the browser, we'll actually compile this, uh, this, this, this well, body of code. Um, you can't really inspect it, so you can't really see what the bytecode is, but it's there, trust me. So in JavaScript, how do we actually create functions dynamically? There is an easy one. Uh, we can do eval, but you know, uh, there is a semantically more appropriate one, and that's called function. So we have a built-in function called function. I know that's a bit confusing, but and it accepts a string. Actually, it accepts multiple strings. So what you have is this is the function. Let's uh, do this in a new tab. So we have function, right? It's built in. It's given to you by the language, and it accepts parameters, and then whatever body you have. This is probably going to return in a syntax error. So this returns a function that has parameters a and b, and then whatever body I, I supply to it. Um, so that's what we're going to use, because you know that, that's what we need. So we're going to change this into, uh, or actually, I've already changed it. So um, yeah, so this should do it, right? Because it's going to return a function, and uh, well, let's see what it does. Did I do everything properly? No, there's a syntax error right there. So let's remove that tab. All right. So still works. Still really just no magic yet. All right. So the next step is a bit of abstraction. We're going to expose a, a global variable called uh, whatever data. Doesn't really matter what the name is as long as it's you know globally accessible. We're going to put this string right in there. Making an array because we will want to support multiple functions. And uh, 
So now this will create a new function calling the data, the first element in the data array, and then generate a function based on whatever string is in there. And it still works. All right, so the next step is to try and recompile, because I think we are at a stage where we might be able to recompile, right? I mean, we have global access to this data structure. There is a function that recompiles or compiles the function. Um, so I should be able to recompile. So let's try that. So data zero equals the string that's going to invoke. equals a log. Oh, fail. The reason it failed is because this only executes once. All right, so let's log out compiling, and we'll see that it just logs out compiling once. So if I do this, it obviously isn't going to change the output because the function hasn't changed because it hasn't even been recompiled. To change this, we can return a function so this is going to be a bit of an exception. But we're going to return a function that returns a function, basically. So now take note that, OK, so we have a set interval. This set interval is going to call get function to get this function to interval over. right? So it's going to repeat repetitively call the function that get function returns. It will return this function. This function, in turn, uh, creates a new function, and we're going to invoke that function immediately. So that way, it's continuously going to compile the function and then immediately invoke it and return whatever its result is. I hope. So now we can see that it's rep repetitively compiling. So let's see if, it, if I can change it now. Voila. This is. Um, Recompiling at its most basic form. All right, so we have running code. We change the code without actually restarting the application. It's most basic. Um, remove that. So now that we have this, how can we improve on it? Because this isn't generic yet. This isn't the full solution. Um, you're going to run into certain problems. The, the first one is going to be functions with arguments. Because if we have an argument here, say, Text doesn't really matter. Let's say let's change the, func the 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 example. So we have var speak equals a function that accepts some text to speak, and then the console logs text. All right, and then we have a set interval again that basically calls a function that does speak. You know, woof. Right, so this is basically an example of a function that accepts an argument. Uh, yes. And will woof. Um, and this works, of course, because it, you know, it's not part of, the, uh, of this system yet. But it won't work right now because it won't be passed on. So that's at least one problem. There are mo more problems right now. For instance, closures. Whenever you create a new function, um, you will lose whatever access that function had to the scopes. And a closure is nothing else than a function that has still has access to scopes that are, that are not its own. So if you return a new function, it will have access to different scopes, to different variables. And since most programs, especially ones that could use this approach, will have used uh, some kind of closure, 
um, this will break. So we need to support closures. Uh, apart from that, there are function declarations. Function declarations have the problem that they don't actually return a value. So I can't just go and replace them with get function because that will just break the code. Function hoisting will screw me over before I can actually get something done. Um, named function expressions are slightly different in that the name of the function expression is actually special. It's only accessible from within the function. And when you're inside the function, you can't even write to it. So even if I would be able to change it, I can't say get function and assign it to that, to that variable because it, it will be read-only. And then, of course, there's performance because if you do this for every call at every time, you are going to drag down the browser. So let's start, you know, let's do this step by step. We'll start by function arguments. So the function arguments, this is the example that I'm going to work with. Let me, well, it's, there's not a lot of screen space here, so. Anyways, it's uh, up there in case I need it. Um, let's first do the translation back into this data structure. So I'm going to just uh, um, convert the functions one by one, um, basically top down, inner to out, and uh, put them in this data structure. I'm going to replace this with a get function. Oh, I missed a step. All right. And then the inner of this function. Uh, wait, I need to remove this, of course. And then I need to add a function ID because I need to know which function to compile. And I replace my zero with an F ID. So I have now in my data structure two function bodies. One does the console log of text, and the other one calls speak. I have a speak, which has, gets assigned the uh, console.log text, and I get a, uh, a function for the set interval that actually calls speak. All right, so let's uh, see if this works. Uh, let's go to the right browser. Uh-oh, no text. So the reason is that there is, in fact, no text, because function, if I do function on that, so let's try that in the browser. So if I do this, basically that's what's happening right now, right? I get this function back. And this text, there is no parameter anymore. Because as I, as I showed you before, function accepts multiple parameters. And its leading parameters are all arguments. So if I just call function without any leading arguments, I'm not going to compile a function with arguments. So I need to change that. Let's try that. Now we need to change the data structure a little bit to accommodate for the arguments. I'm just going to put them in a single st string, which will be fine for this demo. And then uh, the body, of course, and the closing of the object literal, another one, because we have two functions. But this function doesn't have any arguments. So we can just use the empty string. And then uh, body for uh, the woof. All righty. Now we need to change it here, because we need to add these uh, uh, arcs. So that will be the first parameter. And then the second will be body. Let me put this on separate lines so that we can still see them. All right, and so then they will be immediately invoked. So now I am creating a new function that accepts a parameter, text. So this should go fine now. And uh, I'm still calling the function with woof. So let's see if that works. No, 
it doesn't do anything. That shouldn't actually have happened. I'm missing something? I'm in the wrong, oh, the wrong tab. Thank you. There you go. Unfortunately, I didn't fix it, though. And the reason is that I said it's going to evoke it immediately, right? But it doesn't actually pass on the arguments. So this, get f this function, the function is actually going to be called by set interval, right? So I do get, it, get function. And uh, it's the same for speak, by the way. So whenever I do speak, I actually call that function. And that's going to return whatever you know, this compiles and executes. But this is going to accept, uh, this function is going to accept all the arguments, the original arguments anyways. So I can try to do like A, B, C, D here. Of course, that's not, that's not going to work. Because uh, you know, the function might have an arbitrary number of parameters, and we need to support it generically. We need to support any number of arguments that are going to be passed on. So what we can do is we can use the JavaScript language, because we can do apply. And then we can pass on the context. Now, if you were at my workshop yesterday, you probably now know what this actually does. And then I'm going to pass on the arguments. And I'm going to just use the pretty straightforward array prototype slice call arguments zero. It's fairly straightforward. Come on. It's I can also just do this, but it's not, you know. You can't really pass on arguments itself because it's not an actual uh, array, and uh, apply requires an actual array. So that's why I have to actually slice it up. And since uh, arguments isn't an array, I can just go do our arguments as slice. It just won't work. So that's why I have to do this elaborate media dieta. Uh, luckily, I think they will fix this in the next version, though, of JavaScript, I mean. Anyways, that's not very useful right now. So I'm now passing on the context, which is uh, not relevant to this demo, but it's going to be important for generic code, as well as all the arguments as they were originally intended to be passed on. So now it really should work. Yay. So OK, arguments are working. Can I recompile them? Let's see if I can. Um, so I need to do data zero body now. This is my text, so I'm going to change that to console.log. You know, to just use this parameter. Oh, not save it. Yay, it works. Okay. So now I'm able to support arguments properly, and I can recompile and do anything with those arguments. Now that was, no, I wouldn't say simple, but I mean, it's, it's not solving my other problem, maybe closures. Because an argument is going to be freshly created whenever the function is executed, and it's going to be destroyed when it closes, or when it ends. So the next step is to actually start supporting closures. And we can do that. But first, we need to create a new example, because this example doesn't use any closures. And uh, well, you know, for the demo, we do. So we're going to do um, uh, speak is function. And uh, this function accepts the uh, text again. And then rather than uh, starting it from the set interval, um, this is going to start the set interval. So I'm going to do a set interval. And then inside of the function, I'm going to do console.log text. And then, of course, we need to start it by saying uh, the Dutch word for woof. So, um, this 
argument or variable is going to be you know, in a closure. Um, because as I said before, this function will live on and will remain to have access to its outer scopes. So as long as this function lives, and it will live because that interval you know, maintains it or retains it, as long as the function lives, uh, this variable will be accessible for it, and so there will be a closure. Also means that if I just start replacing this function on the water, I'll lose that connection. So there will be a new function and it won't have access to this variable. So it's, you know, this is very, well, no, this is going to work because there, we haven't translated it yet. But um, as, as soon as I start translating it, let me do that right now, I will lose that. It will not work, definitely not work. So there is the first, uh, of course it didn't change, but there is no, no longer a parameter to the first function because that goes to the second function now, actually the third function, I think. All right, so I do this, and then I do get function zero, and then I wrap the outer function. So I'm going to wrap the get function call in another get function call. Um, this and that function will have a text argument. And so this is the translation, and now I can do just replace this by get function. And it's going to be get function one. All right, so now we have, you know, we still have the original code, sort of. And as long as we don't recompile it, it'll be fine, I think, anyways. No. And the reason is... Uh, let's see, I do set interval, I get, get function, I pass on all the arguments. I do pass on all the arguments, yeah. And uh, this is get function zero. I'm sorry? And that's supposed to happen because this is the closure that we create, right? Mm. Oh, that sucks. All right, let me just quickly try this again. Uh, texts, set interval. Yeah, function. Oh wait, was I in the wrong tab again? No. Ah. That would have been nice though. That would have been a nice save. And then console log text. And then speak text. Uh, whatever, it doesn't really matter. And this is the function. So this works again. Yes, and then I'm translating it, so I create my hour again, which is the same thing. And then the function is replaced by a get function call. Ah, actually, I remember now. Do I? Yeah, I think I do. Whatever. Um, I hate it when I realize too late that I, what's the actual problem is. Okay, anyways, uh, I realized what the problem was. So the reason is simply because this, this approach is not complete yet for uh, closures. So it won't even, I know this is the wrong one. Yeah, okay. Glitch in the matrix, unfortunately. Right, so the reason is that it's, um, it doesn't actually uh, have a link to the text anymore because we are still compiling it through a function. And um, 
well, that's, that's just not going to work anymore because we need a closure. We need a closure over text. And that's not going to give it to us. So um, we need to add some magic. The magic comes from eval. Um, so JavaScript has an eval function. And eval basically allows you to send arbitrary JavaScript and execute it immediately. So you can dynamically start running code. It will drastically de-optimize your browser, but for certain purposes like this one, it's going to be ideal. Um, JavaScript has like two different ways of doing this eval, right? You have direct eval and indirect eval. And uh, I normally don't really care about this, but in this specific case, I really do, because the main difference, for this context at least, is that it, it is able to um, access variables in the scopes that surround it. So if you do a direct eval, it's able to access variables that are in the outer scopes of the current scope. Whereas if you do an indirect eval, you only have access to the global scope. Um, in JavaScript, the rules are fairly straightforward for direct eval. Namely, your, uh, the function that you call must be named eval. So you know I can, I can do var foo is eval, and then foo whatever. And that works, uh, but it won't be a direct eval. Uh, you can, no, I won't even bother trying to prove that. Um, however, if if I do something like this, uh, I have a, an argument named eval, and then I do eval code, uh, whatever, and then I pass on eval. You'll notice that it's now a local variable called eval, so it's not the same variable. But since it still contains the original eval function, it will still be a function, a direct eval. So it will still have access to all its closures. Now, that's important for this case. Any, any other way, like using function, or like doing a set interval with a string, or um, the other way, or you know, just like doing window.eval, uh, or the above case where I just assign it to a temporary variable will all um, result in an indirect eval. So that's th those are all approaches that we can't use. So um, back to the demo. So I need to change this to eval because now, right now I'm doing indirect eval. I, I lose my access to all my scopes, and I need those because the originals, the original function had access to scopes. So let's change it. Now I'll need to add the sort of boilerplate for function creation again. I will add the arguments here, no lower comma, then the closing parenthesis, opening body, doing that, and then closing this function again. And since we're in eval, and you can't really start a statement with a function keyword, I have to wrap it in a parenthesis because I want to return this function rather than you know a function declaration. All right, so now I should have a function that does an eval, which returns a new function, which has my arguments. And I can, you know, this is why I just make one string, because if I have multiple arguments, I can just do A, B, C. So that would be fine. Um, so now the function, the new function will have this body, and then I'll do the same, I'll do the same uh, apply and uh, context passing on and whatever that I did before, because that's, that's still relevant and, and, and valid. So 
I'm doing an eval now, right? I'm doing a direct eval, so my function should have access to all the scopes. Great. Uh, this is still correct. And that's still correct. So let's see if that works. Right tab. Nope. Luckily, I do know why. The reason is that we're doing eval in this function. Right? That means it has access to only variables in these scopes. This function scope, this function scope, and global scope. It doesn't actually have access to this text argument because that's a completely different scope. Now that's a bit trickery because we need to solve that, of course. Um, let me prove it first that we have access to this scope by saying how far s is foo and then logging out uh, s. All right. So in my, in my data structure, in my data structure, there is no variable s anywhere, right? So this should result in a uh, syntax error. But it's not. It's logging out foo, because we're doing this direct eval that has access to this scope. In fact, if I remove it, now it will throw s is not defined and completely crash the code. So I need to do eval somewhere else. But if I pass on eval from within my code, like if I do for instance, something like this, uh, I will have an indirect eval. Or I can make it direct again, but it will still be local to the scopes that I'm currently calling it. Uh, this, is, this is the big trick, because I can actually work around this by creating a compiler function in each function. So the name itself, of course, is, is arbitrary. It doesn't really matter as long as it's unique. It doesn't really clash with the existing code and you'll know what it is. I'll create a function that returns uh, eval on s, and then the closing and a semicolon. It's more legible if it's one line. Maybe I can actually fit it in one line on screen. Oh, I can. That's good. All right. So this is my compiler function. All right. So every scope, every function I generate now will have a variable called dollar sign compiler and, uh, well, it, it's, it's able to compile code with direct eval in the scope that it, it originally occurred in, meaning I can actually replace that function now. So I need to do some more boilerplate because I need to pass on this compiling function, compiler function, whatever you want to call it. So get function will receive a compile function now, which is equivalent to what I'm creating here. And I need to pass it on in here as well. And again, every, uh, every function will have access to this variable name. So I won't have to worry about it not existing. Oh, it was right. Oh, I see. No. Well, you know, life coding ain't it. Uh, luckily, this was like the end of the life coding part anyway. So you'll just have to you know, take my word for it, or otherwise just check out the Git repo. Um, and so let's continue with the slides. Um, or just, you know, so basically what it's, what it's doing in this approach is it wraps the original code in get function calls. And as you can see in the last part, it will cache that function to be invoked. And then every time that you call the function, it will check whether there's a new version. If there's a new version, recompile it, then run that code. Otherwise, run the compiled version that we already had. The approach is safe for closures. It's safe for arguments. It's safe for weird syntactical otherwise pro problems. Um, 
and uh, uh, well, I don't know, it works. So there are two open issues. Uh, one is minor, because you have to insert a new variable. I think technically it's possible to get around this problem, but that would entail uh, cluttering the code with evals all over the place. So I think it's, uh, it's fairly simple to introduce new variables that you can check that are not used already. Right? So that, I think, is a minor problem. Um, a big problem is inserting new functions, because as long as your function order is the same, you can statically determine which function maps to the, uh, to the previous function. And as soon as you uh, introduce new functions, you will change this order. And so you will have to figure out where does this new function fit in? And where does the old function match, or which old functions match to which old functions? It's, you have a problem there. And um, I think it's, it's solvable, but it will be computationally expensive, as well as difficult to attend, because uh, if you have a function that has a closure, you need to make sure that you recompile the proper function back into uh, that function with a closure, because otherwise you, you, know, you might screw things up. So it's, uh, inserting new functions is, is a big problem for this approach, or at least it is right now for me. Uh, I, I, I don't have a solution for it, and I, uh, I haven't for a while, so I'm not sure if I can, I can solve this. Um, the other problem is that this approach is just very hard to explain. Um, and not just like the talk I did today, but also conceptually, um, it's difficult for people to see the fact that, for instance, if you recompile, that your static variables will not change. So if you change anything in global scope, it will not be reflected in the recompiled code. If you change anything in a function that's not invoked again, your change will not be visible. So while it looks like it's you know, changing, for instance, you updated your, uh, your speed parameter, it won't be actually uh, live until the, the, the function is invoked again. That's why I use the set interval, because that will repetitively call the function and will you know, make the change apparent. If I had just done a console log, you wouldn't have seen the changes. It wouldn't have been as exciting as it was now. Well, you know, console log. Anyways, um, all the code and this talk and slides and everything is on GitHub. Um, these slides aren't, but uh, they will be soon. Um, you can check them out. You can play with the code. There is an abstraction library right there. And, uh, well, you can knock yourself out there. Um, yeah, so that was my talk. Join me over here, Peter. Yep. Um, first up uh, is a question from me. Uh, next time, do you think you could talk on a subject that's more complex, maybe? <laughs> I just felt like, like it was about here. Was it? Know? Okay. Yeah, I was like, duh. Yeah, well, sorry. So. I do my best, you know. All right. Um, one, of the, one of the questions that came up a little bit was around kind of um, how can we take these techniques and apply them in the real world. So what are some of the use cases that, that live recompilation of JS unlocks? Yep, I, I have to concede there that there aren't that many. Unfortunately, uh, it's a nice gimmick, it's a nice hack. It works, it's a proof of concept. Um, especially as long as those function replacements aren't fixed, you can't really use it because as soon as you start typing a new function, it crashes, of course. Apart from that, um, it will really just be usable for, uh, for stuff like visual applications that continuously repaint the canvas. Because if you, you know, if you repaint the canvas, you'll see the change. If you have a game, 
you can see the change. But if you just have a, uh, say, a web page with a callback, you will only see the change when you actually press a button. Or maybe not even at all if, if it's a, like a runtime, a one-time run code, initialization, whatever. So it's really just for, for a certain tooling, and even then you have to know what you're doing because it's very hard to, uh, to relate to the user how you can and cannot use this approach. I think um, uh, Sebastian Golash uh, also pointed out one, one use case that makes sense, which is like the JS bin story. Exactly. Like JS bin, JS fiddle, those sorts yes. of things would be But even, even for those applications, it will be very difficult to relate to the user what they can and cannot do. Even after like function is fixed, if you have a fixed variable in global scope, you can change it this way. So yeah. it, it's even for JS bin or whatever users, it's difficult. Yeah, so this is like... Um, it would be like a mode that you turn on so that you actually know what's going on. Yeah, so similarly, there is, there is a similar library compilation inside of Chrome in the DevTools. You can exactly. do all this. But I think and they hook into the debugger, right? Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not the same technique as, as yours. It actually goes but it is to, cool. to V8. Yeah. Um, but it's the same sort of instance where there's these state objects, like you have uh, an object and you change uh, like a property on the object, mm -hmm. and that will not change. Like yeah. It has to basically be at a method level. Yeah, that's awesome. And it actually, I think the approach is even better than what I can do, simply because they can hook into the debugger, and they can immediately see which function belongs where, etc. Um, but it, it works really good. I, I've used it before. Yeah. Um, is eval evil? Is it? Uh, Douglas, Douglas would say yes. I think you know, as long as you know what you're using it for, it's fine. Yeah. But uh, don't just go using it because you can, because there's, you know, you have to have a, you have to have a reason for it. Is, is, uh, is the function constructor any less evil? Um, it's the same as eval, so why same, would it be less? Same, evil? right? It's, it's the same. It's an indirect eval. So. I always because I remember this time when uh, jQuery um, swapped. It with jQuery. Um, what? Oh, it's uh, like parse JSON. Inside parse JSON, oh, it was yeah. using eval, and then they switched to the function constructor. And I was like, oh, I feel better about this now. It just, it just looks better semantically because yeah. it says function. So, mm. you know, it's, it's not eval, right? But on the water, really, it, it just is eval. Um, that's the same for set timeout for a string and, uh, yeah. and certain other ways of doing it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Thank you very much, Peter. This was awesome. Thank you. Thank you.